morning, family. Such a joy to be back with you guys this morning. It was such a joy to be with you guys last year when Joshua filled in for Paula to lead worship. And after the service that I, ta- I talked with um, several of you and you requested that I pray with you, pray for you. Um, I remember talking to Butch and Sandy, catching up with them. I remember Pat and Jesse catching up with them. And I remember praying with uh, Ron Larson uh, for Verl before she went to the hospital even. Um, it meant more to me than you all know to be remembered as one of your um, former elders, uh, your friend, and that you would ask for my prayers. Pastor Jim asked me late last year to fill the pulpit for him today so we could take a little vacation time. And brother, if you are watching... If you are watching, I'm expecting some photos of some grubbish Kansas City barbecue. There will be no excuse, and that's all I got to say about that. So So Jim asked me to uh, fill the pulpit uh, late last year, um, and I wondered if he wanted me to pick up where he was at in his sermon series or if I could do what the Lord had laid on my heart. And he was fine either way, so I chose to talk about remembrance today. Being remembered here was such an honor, and the Lord placed a word on my heart after I was here. And I know Jim touched on remembrance a few weeks back as he discussed all that the Lord is doing here, and I saw uh, that, uh, that message and uh, praised the Lord. And when he invited me over to take a look at how God has been providing for the back area, that diner, that kitchen, Any of you guys who have served in youth ministry or have been students coming up in this student ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was just, it was just wow. It took my breath away, just the God of God's goodness. So we're going to take a look at remembrance this morning, and the bulk of our time is going to be spent in Joshua chapters 3 and 4. And as the Moody Bible Commentary says, Joshua 3 and 4 are best read as a single unit, and I wholeheartedly agree. Now, having said that, there's a lot of text there, but I think we really need to take a look at Joshua 3 to get context before we really dig into Joshua 4. So let me open in a word of prayer. And then we'll get into Joshua 3. Father God, you are so good to us. We thank you, Lord, for the goodness that you're not only displaying in this church, in this place where we come to worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But Lord God, we thank you for what you're doing in each of our individual lives. Your goodness, your mercy never fails. Your love endures forever. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. I pray, Lord God, for anxiety in me to be cast out, that, uh, Lord, that uh, you would be preeminent, that you would have first place, and that it would be your word that would go forth like a clanging bell, that, Lord God, you have already prepared the way. There's nothing for me to to be worried about or anxious about. That, Lord, this is your word. And we're going to go out in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and speak the truth boldly this morning. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Joshua 3, let me get there in the Old Testament. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shittim. And they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. In other words, all the ites. They were going to get cast out there. <laughs> Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of, the, of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, before, now therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of, the earth, of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from the, their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those uh, bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. You guys still with me? Okay, chapter 4. Maybe I'll get a little bit of a drink here before we go on to chapter 4. All righty. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, each t from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you 
When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them out with them to the place where they lodged and lay them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste, and when all the people had finished passing over, the Ark of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 were ready for war, passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel, and they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until he passed over, until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So point one, if you've got your sermon outline this morning, is the word of faith. The word of faith. Joshua 2, the chapter before we started this morning, covers the faith of an individual. That individual is Rahab. Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy and is a member of the Hall of Faith as listed in Hebrews chapter 11. So this morning, we see the faith of an entire nation in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. The book of Joshua deals with much more than ancient history, what God did centuries ago with the Jews. It's about your life. It's about the life of the church today, what God wants to do here and now for those who trust him. The Bible, excuse me, the book of Joshua is about the victory of faith and the glory that comes to God when his people trust and obey. If you're like me, this passage of scripture is one that we kind of tend to forget about. There were two separate miraculous feedings um, of the 5,000 in the New Testament. Sometimes my brain wants to think that there was one feeding of the 5,000. There was only one occurrence 
in multiple Gospels, but there were two separate ones. And here in the Old Testament, there were two separate miraculous crossings of water. And we remember Moses crossing the Red Sea, but sometimes we forget that, oh yeah, you know, there was that crossing of the Jordan River as well. Moses said it perfectly in Deuteronomy 6.23 in the 1984 NIV translation. He says, but he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised an oath to our forefathers. So he brought us out to bring us in. I want you to think about that this morning, uh, friend, that he brought us out to bring us in. What has the Lord brought you out of? What has the Lord brought you out of? What is he trying to bring you out of? Into the Father's care, into his sheepfold. So 40 years before, Joshua and Caleb had assured the Jews, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are able to overcome it. That's faith. But the people said, we are not able. That's unbelief, and it cost the nation of Israel 40 years of discipline in the wilderness. God hasn't changed. The principle of faith hasn't changed. What seems to change is the attitude of God's people. We no longer believe that God can act and by faith and believe in God and we can act by faith in his promises that God has brought us out of sin to bring us into his kingdom. But too often we fail to enter in because of unbelief, as Hebrews 3.19 says. Check out what Hebrews 4.2 says. It says, For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Joshua 3 and 4 illustrates three essentials for moving ahead by faith and claiming all that God has for us. Again, the first is the word of faith. Like Moses before him, Joshua received his orders from the Lord. He obeyed them by faith. We see in Joshua 3, chapter 1, that Joshua was an early riser, and he was consistent, as we also see in Joshua 6, 12, 7, 16, and 8, 10. He spent his early hours, the first hours of the day, in communion with God, as we see in Joshua 1, 8. And in this, he was like Moses, like David, like Hezekiah, like our Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible to live by faith and ignore the word of God and prayer. Faith is nurtured by worship and the word, and the people God uses and blesses know how to discipline themselves so that they can give themselves to the Lord in the early morning hours. Rich Clark, I see you back there. Rich, what time do you get up in the morning? Okay. What are you doing up that early, brother? Why are you getting up that early? Yeah. So you're in the Word, right? Early in the morning. Keep pressing on, brother. Your bride told me, this wasn't in my message, but your bride told me out in the foyer that um, how much of a blessing and encouragement that is 
to see that, to see her husband doing that. That's a, that's a lesson for all of us guys in here, right? Sometimes when we get up and make our intentional with our time, the Lord blesses our family, blesses our, our marriage. So praise the Lord for that, Rich. So Joshua ordered to move 10 miles to the Jordan. And then the officers gave them their orders. The people were to cross the river, and they were supposed to follow the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is mentioned 16 times in the chapters 3 and 4. 16 times. So it must be pretty important. It was the throne of God. It was a place where his glory rested in the tabernacle, according to Exodus 25. And God sat enthroned between the cherubim. The Lord of God was kept in the ark, a reminder, excuse me, the law of God was kept in the ark, a reminder of God's covenant with Israel. And the blood of the sacrifices was sprinkled on the mercy seat on the annual day of atonement. Normally, the Kohathites carried the ark. On this extraordinary occasion, Joshua 3.3 says, the Levites, who were the priests, carried the ark. The ark going before the people was an encouragement to their faith so it, because it meant that God was going before them, opening their way, preparing the way. Let's look at Joshua 3.5. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. If the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus was a pattern, then consecrate or sanctify yourselves meant that everybody bathed and changed their clothes. Now, water was a luxury back then, and it wasn't used uh, too often for personal hygiene, let's say. And so in our modern world, we're more accustomed to comfortable bathing facilities. It kind of reminds me a little bit about my mom's childhood, my mom's upbringing. She grew up with mom and dad, two brothers, two sisters, in a two-room house in rural Williamsfield. Um, one room was a kitchen and dining room, and the other was a living room and bedroom. It had a tin roof. The outside of the house was uh, tar paper, um, no electricity, no phone, no running water, no, you know, no indoor plumbing. Bath time was a sponge bath once or twice a week. So when I read that account, I was thinking of my mom's upbringing out in the country there. In the Bible, the imagery of washing one's body and changing clothes symbolized making a new beginning with the Lord. And since sin as, is pictured as defilement, God must cleanse us before we can truly follow him. After King David confessed his sin, he bathed, he changed his clothes, and he worshiped the Lord. Imagery is carried over to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 16, Ephesians 4, and Colossians 3. The promise in Joshua 3, 5 was that the Lord would do wonders among them. That gets me fired up when I read that. As he opened the Red Sea, 
to deliver Israel from Egypt, so also he would open the Jordan River and take them into the promised land. Joshua 3, verses 5 through 13 shows that the Lord gave them all the information they needed to accomplish what he wanted them to do. You find conditions that the people had to fulfill, orders they had to obey, promises they had to believe. God always gives his word of faith to his people whenever he asks them to follow him. And like Joshua and the team sang this morning, God's promises do not fail. Amen? Oh, that's not loud enough. God's promises do not fail. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's right. Listen to what 1 Kings says. There has not failed one word of all his good promise. 1 Kings 8.56. If you want to write that down, when your times are tough, when you're having trouble believing God's promises and his faithfulness, 1 Kings 8.56. Point two in your outline is the walk of faith. The walk of faith. Charles Spurgeon has been called the prince of preachers, and here are some of his comments about Joshua 3. You haven't traveled this way before, Spurgeon says of Joshua 3, 4. They were certainly where they had never been before, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. None of them had even passed the Red Sea. They saw before them now a river that was full of the brim and deep and broad, and how were they supposed to cross it? There was not a boat in their tents. Suppose they did cross it. There was a walled city within view, frowning on them from the other side. Behind the walls were many powerful and ferocious enemies. Suppose they should conquer the men of Jericho. The whole land was full of cities equally as strong, fortified to the heavens, as Deuteronomy 1.28 says. Their case was one that might naturally excite a thousand fears, but faith drove away all So during uh, the majority of the year, the Jordan River was about um, 100 feet wide. But at the spring flood season, the river overflowed its banks and became a mile wide. As soon as the priests bearing the ark put their feet into the river, the water stopped flowing and stood like a wall 20 miles away upstream. It was near a city called Adam. It was a miracle of God in response to the faith of the people. Unless we step out, unless we get our feet wet, we're not likely to make much progress in living for Christ and serving him. Each step that the priests took opened up the water before them until they were standing in the midst of the river on dry ground. Dry ground. Not saturated ground. I know we've got some fishermen in here. If you've ever like been on the bank and you've like went to step in the wet, wet mud that's where the water's been, your foot gets sucked down in there. You might even leave a shoe in, in down in the in the mud hole there. This was dry ground. Their sandals weren't getting sucked down into the muck. Dry ground. They stood there. As the people passed by, when the whole nation had crossed, the priests walked to the shore and the flow of the water resumed. 
Bible scholar and theologian Charles Dyer to funnel two million people over the dry river bottom, the river being at flood stage during the daylight of only one day, chapter 4, verse 3 says, was a stupendous miracle that only God could have accomplished. In addition, the streams that flowed, the tributaries, the streams that flowed into the Jordan south of Adam were also stopped. Although it was true a landslide could have stopped the Jordan, it would not have blocked the other streams, certainly not immediately, nor would it have allowed the river to begin to flow immediately, Joshua 4.18, nor permitted the people to walk on dry ground. The crossing of the Red Sea in Exodus pictures the believer being delivered from the bondage of sin. The crossing of the Jordan River is a picture of the believer claiming their inheritance in Jesus Christ. Warren Wearsby, former pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago, says what a tragedy it is when God's people fail to claim their inheritance and wander aimlessly through the life as Israel did in the wilderness. We never stand still in the Christian life, Wearsby says. We either move forward in faith or we go backward in unbelief. What a tragedy indeed. Spurgeon added this. He says, are we just now where we have never been as to trials? Are the demands on our strength heavier than any former period of our lives? Whether our way is in the Lord is old or new, it is not a way of our own appointing. God has led us to our present place, Spurgeon says. Providence cannot have placed us in a wrong position. It must be right for us to be just where we are. And he cites Psalm 31:15, the course of my life is in your power. Point three on your outline is the witness of faith. The witness of faith. Two heaps of stones were set up as memorials of Israel's crossing the Jordan River. There were 12 stones at Gilgal and 12 stones in the midst of the river. And they were witnesses that God honors faith and works on behalf of those who believe and trust in him. The stones placed at Gilgal were carried over by 12 previously selected men, one from each tribe. And with, when these men reached the midst of the river, they each picked up a large stone and carried it about eight miles to Gilgal, where the nation camped for the night. Gilgal was about two miles from Jericho, and it was the first territory in Canaan claimed by Israel for the heap of 12 stones was a reminder of what God did for his people. The Jews were great believers in teaching the next generation about Jehovah and his special relationship to the people of Israel. To an unbeliever, this heap of 12 stones was simply just another pile of rocks, right? But to a believing Israelite, it was a constant reminder that Jehovah was his or her God working his wonders on behalf of of his people. Take a look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 9. It says, And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there 
to this day. I always think of this, this story as one pile of stone being placed by 12 uh, tribes, members of the 12 tribes. But somehow, in the past, I've always glossed over uh, this pile of stones that old Josh placed in the middle of the and maybe this seems strange to the Jews, uh, seeing their, later, uh, their leader do this. And Warren Wearsby makes a great point. He says, after all, who but God would be able to see the 12 stones heaped together in a riverbed? Who but God could see that? It's not like they went to the la local Bass Pro Shop, right? And uh, picked up their latest uh, top-of-the-line hummingbird uh, you know, for $169.99, I checked it out online. $169.99. You know, I don't know what the conversation, the conversion is in shekels or pieces of silver, right? But they could have picked up the Piranha Max 4DI. Now, check out these features of the Piranha Max 4DI. Dual beam sonar. Choose from a, from a narrow and wide beam for de great detail or a generous coverage area, helping you identify fish. Structure and contour sounds nice. It also has down imaging. Get a clear view of what's happening below your boat with down imaging. As you patrol the water, you'll watch timber, brush, bridge pilings, rocks, and any other structure pop up with great detail. And so there we go. And it comes with a one-year limited warranty, too. So all kidding aside, Wearsby makes the point that we aren't told that God commanded Joshua to set up this second monument. But it's likely that he did, and he didn't reproach him for doing it. And so there it is, this in the middle of the river. This monument at Gilgal reminded the Jews that God had opened the Jordan River and brought them safely across into the promised land. And they had made a break with the past and they were to never think about going back. Reminds me of that old song, I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The moment in the depths of the river reminded them that their old life was buried and they were now to walk in newness of life. Six four says... And whenever the Jewish children asked about the 12 stones at Gilgal, their parents would explain the miracle of crossing the river. And they would add, but there's another monument. It's in the middle of the river where the priest stood with the ark. You can't see it, but it's there. And it reminds us that our old life is buried and we must have new life in obedience with the Lord. When you walked in this morning, you may have picked up a stone, small stone in the back, if not, the back after the service. And I had a couple of questions, and I was hoping and wondering if you guys were thinking, you know, are we going to stone the, uh, the speaker this morning with these? Or, you know, what are we doing with these stones here? Um, but these stones are river rock. They're not as big as these, you know, that you've got to heft them on your shoulder like we see in the account of the Bible. These stones are river rock. And when our kids were uh, little, Mary had taken the same concept as this Bible event in training our children. We had a pile of stones in the middle of our dining room table where we would meet for all of our meals. 
And each of these stones had either been written on or painted on um, with scriptures or praises of uh, events that God had done in our lives. So I encourage you to take these stones uh, home with you that you received and work with your family to create your own remembrance of God's goodness and faithfulness in your life. Just starts with one. Start with, just starts with one. If you've got multiple people in your family here this morning, take one for everybody. I'm sure that you can find something that God has done for you, and you can celebrate your faithfulness every time you look at that. Celebrate his faithfulness. Let's take a look at Joshua 4.24. Says, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Note that Joshua put an obligation on the Jews to fear the Lord and bear witness to him to the whole world. The God who can part the river is the God that everybody ought to fear, to love, and obey. And so Israel needed to tell this to the other nations about him. And invite them to trust him too. You know, that's, I think of our um, slogan here or the verse that, we're, that we have here as a church that we're to go and make disciples. That's what, that's what this is talking about here even in the Old uh, Testament. The God of Israel cares for his people. That God keeps his promises. That God goes before them in victory. And he never fails. Moody Bible Commentary says this of verse 24. At this point, the text is summed up with two purposes. First, God delivered the people of Jordan, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The reasons for, God, for Israel's existence had always been to glorify the Lord and to draw others to him. Second, this was so that they may fear the Lord their God always. Israel was to always love and fear God. It is difficult to love and fear a God who is a consuming fire. That's right, Moody Commentary, Hebrews 12, 29. And in whose hands is a terrifying thing to fall. But he is the same loving Heavenly Father that sent his Son to be our Savior. Amen? The Father who retrieves the lost sheep. The Father who welcomes the prodigal son. Ah, the prodigal. We've all been there currently or have been the prodigal son. We've all went our separate way from God. Our last point in the message this morning is do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. So after the Lord had placed this message on my heart, I was sitting in church a couple months ago preparing to take communion. And when the pastor was talking about taking communion in remembrance of Jesus, I thought, wow, now that is the most important remembrance. It's interesting in the Gospels that the only time that the phrase remembrance is used is in Luke chapter 22. That's it. Matthew and Mark's accounts don't state remembrance and surprising at least to me the gospel of john doesn't even cover communion at all but we're going to take communion in a minute and but before we do i want to give the opportunity for us to examine ourselves and get right with god as we talked about earlier 
consecrating ourselves. We don't want to take communion in an unworthy manner. And doing so, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So like I said just a minute ago, we're either, you know, been the prodigal son or we're currently the prodigal son. Or we all have been. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Me, you, Pastor Jim, all of us. But the good news that we can celebrate today with this communion is that Christ came to live and die in your place for your sin. And accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, the ruler of your life, is as simple as the ABCs. If you've ever heard this, it's a simple, simple way of remembering and accepting Christ. A is admit. A is admit. Admit that you are a sinner, lying, cheating, stealing, lust, pornography, greed, coveting something that is not yours, Foul language, unwholesome talk, harboring anger, bitterness. You fill in the blank. The Spirit is convicting your spirit right now. And yes, sadly, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to be sorry for our sin and repent or turn away. That's what repentance means. It's a turning away from that sin. So A, Admit that you are a sinner. B is believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to die on that cross for our sins. Not only did he just die, as any man could die, but he defeated death, he conquered Satan, and he rose again in victory. Amen? So believe, believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that God so loved the world. And you can insert your own name in that. God so loved Bill that he sent his one and only son that if Bill believes in him, that if I believe in him, I will not perish, but I will have eternal life. Praise the Lord. God sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin, the penalty that was due me, he took it for himself. C is confess. Admit, believe, confess. Confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, Romans 10, 9 says it like this, because if you confess with your mouth Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what a promise. You will be saved. So if you're ready to pray these simple ABCs, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we thank you for choosing to love me. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, sin in my place. I believe that he conquered death. I believe that he rose again. I believe that Jesus Christ lives today. Today, I repent with a godly sorrow.
Help me, Lord, to turn away from my sin. Thank you for the wonderful love that you've given and, the, and for changing my life forever, for eternity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay.